Brick Moon Fiction presents VFAM by Kevin R. O'Hara Narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle Part 1 The sun caressed the tips of the Olympic mountain range, spreading its reddish light across the chilly Puget Sound and onto the tall buildings of Seattle. Gray clouds to the east made everything glow with a golden crispness, creating the perfect magic hour prior to sunset. The Seattle Center was alive with activity as one of the many popular festivals took place, drawing thousands of locals and tourists alike. Beneath the iconic 600-foot flying saucer-like Space Needle, crowds wandered between the museums and attractions, tasting the cuisines of the Pacific Northwest and enjoying the regional music of independent rock and folk bands, like they did often since the 1962 World's Fair. What made this year a bit different from previous ones was the new fad that had rapidly swept much of the city, if not country, VFAMs. In recent years, augmented reality glasses, now just referred to as specs regardless of the manufacturer, had become as ubiquitous as smartphones. Once they became the relative shape, size, and weight of sunglasses, adoption shot up much the same way that sunglasses themselves had gone from novelty to staple on the Atlantic beaches in the summer of 1930. The rage of last year was V-tags, small emitters that could be placed nearly anywhere with custom electronic signatures easily read by most brands of specs. One could put a virtual billboard on the side of their house to proclaim their devotion to their favorite sports team. Some would tag their cars with brilliant animated flames creating modern-day hot rod decals. Others would adorn their outfits with shimmering accessories of fashion or personal expression. Regulations followed existing laws regarding inappropriate content, and it was easy to report violations with the cameras built into the specs, so for the most part, the images were no more provocative than a typical bumper sticker or t-shirt slogan. In the extreme cases, such as a Tennessee home that had over 40 flame tags to make the house appear as if it were engulfed in fire, citations were issued, but generally no harm was done as it was simple enough for someone to turn off the augmented reality of specs or remove the specs themselves to see through the illusion. This year was all about the VFAM, or virtual familiars. Before now, familiars were generally regarded as mythical pets of witches and warlocks, spirits that were conjured to assist them in casting spells and to help in more mundane tasks. The VFAM married that ancient magical concept to the modern digital personal assistants. Instead of speaking to Siri or Alexa, now anyone could link a VFAM to their smart device to have a more personalized experience. Customization and expression were the key selling points. On a typical day, such as this one at the Seattle Center, hundreds of people would have their own tiny personal assistant flying about their heads or sitting on the recharging pads Velcro to their shoulders. While a lot of people would go with the default floating orb of colored light, Seattleites tended to askew the norm. The most prevalent types seen here were licensed characters such as Tinkerbell, Pokemon creatures, or the Seahawk mascot of the local football team. However, it was also common to see more unique types, such as ghosts, angels, historical figures, and creatures made of animated fire, water, or smoke. Rarely there were specific religious figures like Jesus, Buddha, or Vishnu, but typically that was seen as in poor taste. The floating head of Martin Luther King Jr., however, had recently gained popularity in this city, which may have been due to growing anti-racism protest marches or just for the fact that Seattle resided in King County, which was named for the civil rights leader. Near the International Fountain, a massive silver dome with over 200 water shooters that was set in a sunken concrete bowl, a group of five teenage girls noisily frolicked about, enjoying the programmed water show and singing to the live music from the adjacent South Lawn. 
Each wore expensive and fashionable specs, and had a different cutesy anime-style fairy that buzzed around the group, taking an endless series of photographs each time they shouted, Fairy Selfie. Lydia Morlina sat on the bull's ledge nearby, meditating. A black crow with a single white feather on its back rested upon her shoulder. She was in her early thirties, was barely five feet tall, and had long brown hair that could only be described as eternally unkempt, despite being partly covered by a reddish-brown wool hat. She hummed her own tune to herself while focusing on the sunlight that danced through the fountain's waters before her. This is where she usually found peace and inner connection, but that was disrupted by the teenager's annoying antics. Fairy selfie, they all shouted while assuming ridiculous poses. Lydia closed her eyes tighter and breathed out, trying to ignore them even though they and their fairies were starting to intrude into her space. Fairy selfie, they screamed, causing her to quickly tense up at the shrill noise. Wow, I like your bird, one of them said, now intentionally interrupting her meditation. Lydia gave a smile and raised her hands up slightly with her thumbs, touching the forefingers to politely illustrate that she didn't want to be disturbed. A second girl came up to the other side of Lydia and asked, Where did you download him? He looks so real. Look at the detail on those feathers. Lydia opened her eyes to stare daggers at the girls, and when they didn't react, she realized that her specs were in sunglass mode so the effect was completely lost. So instead, she hoped to dismiss them by saying, Thank you. Have a good day. As she started to speak, however, a third, taller girl came very close to her shoulder and her fairy buzzed right by the crow, causing it to spread its wings out and squawk angrily. The girl looked affronted and sneered, Wow, your virtual birdie has a bad attitude. Like, why would you even want it to look like a stupid old crow? With that, the crow lunged forward and pecked directly into the stomach of the floating fairy. The girl gasped and put her hand over her mouth. The crow maliciously attacked again and, in a fluid motion, swallowed the screaming fairy with sickening crunch. The girl's eyes went wide as the fairy blinked out of existence and she cried out, Hey! No, Crovis, Lydia reprimanded the bird, but it was clearly too late, so she added, Oh, gods below, Crovis. One by one, the girls tore off their glasses and realized that Crovis was not a V-fam, but a real crow. It's alive! the first girl exclaimed. No way! It killed Fia! Your bird ate my V-fam! What kind of freak are you? The tall girl yelled. With that, the crow took off and circled high above just as the fountain erupted a jet of water over one hundred feet in the air. Lydia simply looked at the teens. Her mouth scrunched to one side as she tried to decide on how to react. It wasn't my bird, kids, Lydia lied slight guilt in her voice, but a steely look in her eyes as she removed her specs. I just like to feed them on nice days, like today was. Sorry about your toy. Lydia looked around to see the remaining four Super Bowl-sized dull gray devices floating around the other girls. The girl whose V-Fam was destroyed stared up into the sky, trying to spot the crow among a flock of seagulls, then gave Lydia a suspicious glare before turning back to her friends and stating, My mom is going to kill me! Another girl said, I'm sorry, Olivia. Let's go to the armory. I'll buy lattes. As the girls hurried off, Lydia let her eyes wander around the crowds. With the specks off, she felt a twinge of annoyance looking at the hundreds of tiny gray balls that swarmed around the crowds like angry bees. She looked back at the fountain and saw that the sun had gone down enough that it no longer illuminated the fountain waters. She sighed, reached down to the concrete rim, 
and carefully picked up three crystals and tucked them into her leather satchel. She got up and scanned the skies for the crow with a scowl on her face. That wasn't cool, Crovis. Lydia entered her small apartment, a mother-in-law suite attached to the back of an old house near the Fremont neighborhood of North Seattle. It was a single room with a twin bed, built-in oak desk, and a large bookcase brimming with novels and knick-knacks. The walls were covered with velvet tapestries. Some had prints of trees, stags, and triple moons. If the place wasn't packed enough, there was an elliptical exercise machine occupying the remaining floor space. In the corner sat a small stone altar with various containers and incense. As Lydia held the door open, Crovis swooped in and perched on top of the bookshelf where there was a blue towel surrounded by an assortment of baubles. The bird coughed up the broken VFAM ball on a pile of three identical ones. Crovis puffed up and rasped. Another fake fairy falls and no true tears were shed. That's not the point, Crovis. Oh, but it is. It is. The bird's voice dripped with melodrama. They are an affront to us. The false fairies and the self-absorbed fledglings. Lydia deposited her crystals in a circle on the altar, then started to search around the cluttered room. Don't be an ass. They were kids and those things are expensive. Yeah, the girl had an attitude, but you can't go around destroying other people's property. The crow made himself comfortable on his towel and cocked his head to one side. Yeah, whatever. Lydia found what she was looking for, a three-step ladder, and positioned it next to the bookshelf to climb up to be eye-to-eye -eye with the crow. She scanned his pile of goodies and plucked the VFAM off the top, giving him a disapproving grunt upon seeing the rest of them. I think, she said while examining the broken beyond repair technology, that you just feel threatened. You're afraid I'm going to replace you. Like most of America, you are afraid that your job is going to be automated. Crovis shook his head. Ha! My darkest fear that you would dare to dump me for a battery-powered golf ball. I guess I shouldn't joke. That's just what you did with your last boyfriend, what, two years ago? Funny bird, she grimaced, while hopping down, and then she placed the VFAM on her altar in the middle of the three crystals. She sorted through a couple candles, selected a deep green taper, and lit it. Crovis flew down to the elliptical to get a better look and asked, What are you doing? I'm not helping with that. Lydia focused on the VFAM and put her will into the candle for a solemn moment while muttering a sing-song phrase. Fortune's lost, wheel goes round. Grant unto her new fortunes found. The crystals glowed with golden sunlight, and then the candle's smoke turned green and bent down towards the door. It seeped through the space between the door and the frame, and then candle and crystals suddenly went dark. Goody two-shoes, Crovis squawked. Waste of magic, if you ask me. I didn't, she said, getting up and opening a curtain to the attached tiny kitchenette. She looked through a stack of mail, flipped open a magazine, and tossed it back on her bed. You should be worried, you know. There's a full-page ad for them in Newer Age Mag. Check out the features. Crovis dropped down to the bed and eyed the advertisement featuring a picture of a woman wearing specks looking in wonder at floating Pegasus. The copy read, you're never alone again with your custom VFAM 2.0. Rust-proof micro-mesh wire protects six rotors and six ultra-def cameras. Automatically adjusts camera to match eyeline of the person you are video chatting with for unparalleled realism. No more off-screen stares. Director leash mode follows you up to 25 feet away and always guarantees the perfect angle for pictures and video. 
Get the party going with coordinated big sound stereo speakers or keep it intimate with Bluetooth earbud connection. Protect your privacy from strangers' VFAMs with image and audio blurring jamming technology. Only your friends can record the real you. Full access to the cloud knowledge base, ask your virtual familiar any question. Foretell the weather, know what's around the corner, magically locate your car just by talking with your individualized companion. With 12-hour standby battery life and an included wireless solar docking station, you'll never be alone again. Crovis ripped out the page and took it up to his nest to sit upon. Well, you should seriously get one so I can take a sizable sabbatical. Or at least until you need someone to see into the astral dimension, or to track spirits, or to sense your emotions, or to heal your soul, or, you know, to help you cast actual spells. I didn't see any of that listed in the ad, but maybe I'm just too in awe of the big sound speakers and missed that part. Lydia opened her refrigerator and pulled out a carton of eggs. The packaging split open at the edge, and despite her frantic grabbing, all of the eggs dropped to the floor and shattered. No, 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 she squeaked. Crap. I needed those for tonight's gathering. The spell requires eggs and fresh oranges. She pulled out a bag of clementines to find that they had green mold spots all over them. Her shoulders slumped and she said, Double crap. Crovis dove down to the mess on the floor and began to help clean up by gulping down the yolks. I told you, wasted magic. At best, the girl will find a five-dollar bill in a forgotten pocket. That is, if the smoke even finds her. While you, my witch, are out of luck. That's a selling point the ad forgot to mention. The virtual familiar is programmed not to be a smartass. She mopped up all of the shells and threw out the fruit. Guess we need to stop at the store on the way. Come on, trouble bird. Lydia paced up and down the aisle of the organic food store. Crovis was hidden away in a covered small dog carrier. He would periodically peek his beak out to look around. He chuckled as he noticed a sign on the wall next to the We welcome service animals of all kinds, but no pets please, that read... As a courtesy to the staff and other patrons, please put your VFAM in docking mode. Gods below, are you kidding me? Lydia exclaimed. How can they be out of eggs? This store always has loads of eggs. Caged-free, GMO-free, soy-free, meat-diet-free, cruelty-free, Crovis sang. Strange how far they are from actual free-free compared to the price of regular eggs. Hush, she said. I'm sure Val will have some. Well, then again, with my luck, she probably won't. Maybe these vegan egg substitutes will work. Suddenly there was a loud commotion coming from the end of the aisle. A large, bald man in a leather jacket and dark specks was yelling at a checkout clerk. On his shoulder sat an impish little creature with horns and a long, whip-like tail. Lydia lowered her own specks to see that it was, in fact, a featureless gray VFAM ball. The clerk and his manager were trying to calmly talk to the man, but he only raised his gruff voice. Worst story in all Seattle. I'm sick of this fake healthy crap. Why the hell can't you carry a goddamn box of Fruit Loops? Organic, natural-flavored fruity rings? You make me sick. Lydia put her specs on again and set them to record mode, just in case things got out of hand and the store could use a witness. Crovis stuck his head out and crooked it to one side staring at the man's shoulder. The manager pleaded, Sir, I'm going to have to ask you... The loud man turned red in the face, reached out and overturned a large display of granola bars with a crash. 
He made a threatening move towards the clerk and then headed to the front door. His imp glared back directly at Crovis as he stormed out and disappeared around the corner. Did you see that? There was an imp on his shoulder, Crovis said urgently. Yeah, it was just a V-fam, Lydia responded. Wait, how did you know? I didn't share my eyes with you. Twasn't a V-fam, the crow responded direly. I saw it with my spirit sight. A dark denizen of Discordiae, a true familiar. But the man didn't seem like a warlock. He was not, Crovis declared. Well, that makes no sense, Lydia replied. Maybe the coven will know something. It was dark when Lydia and Crovis arrived at Val's, a two-story turn-of-the-century green house with a bright purple front door. The door was adorned with an iron pentacle and a flowery sign that read, Fairies welcome, solicitors and missionaries turn back now, and a hand-painted sign under that that read, Exception made for Girl Scouts with cookies. Lydia let herself in, removing her shoes and leaving them outside on the porch. The tight foyer led into a large family room with six mismatched plump couches forming a circle. Between them, the floor was filled with so many pillows that it resembled a ball pit at a play place for children. Several candles illuminated the room, some real and others with flickering LEDs. A long strand of white Christmas lights sparkled high on the walls surrounding the room. Tribal drumming music played quietly from another room. Three people reclined on the couches and smiled warmly as Lydia entered. "'Welcome, Lydia and Crovis,' Val said while trying to rise from the deep middle couch. She was a heavy-set woman in her late fifties with long, dull, blonde hair and oversized round glasses, the regular kind and in no way technological like Specs. On her shoulders sat a domesticated white rat that looked as though its head and shoulders had been dipped in a light gray Easter egg coloring solution. A prematurely balding black man with a tightly curled salt-and-pepper beard sat on the second couch. He wore a big smile that showed a lot of pearly white teeth. His hands were folded in his lap, holding a large brown toad. He nodded his head towards Lydia, and she returned a smile and nod. I'm sorry I'm late. I ordered a pickup and the first car never showed. The second car was twenty minutes late. The problem with driverless cars is there was no one to notice my disapproving scowl. I noticed, chided Crovis, though it's not easy to tell from your everyday expression. This got a grin from the third person, whom Lydia did not recognize. She was a tall, attractive woman in her very early twenties, with a wide smile rimmed by burnt umber lipstick, heavily mascaraed hazel eyes, and medium-length frost-blue hair. She wore a black long coat with several brass buttons and a row of safety pins running the length. She had two watches on her wrist and a different ring on each of her ten fingers. On her shoulders sat a featureless ball which became a curled-up silver dragon when Lydia turned on the augmented reality mode of her specs. Oh, never mind that. It's just good that you made it. Val clumsily navigated the room and hugged Lydia. Crovis came eye to eye with the rat, and it scurried to Val's other shoulder. I want to introduce you to my niece, Amethyst. Amy, this is Lydia and Crovis. Amethyst gave a silent high, but her eyes were fixed on the crow. I used to teach Amy about our ways when she was little, but unfortunately her father got a job in Los Angeles and they moved away. But good news, she started on her computer science master's at UW, so she's going to join our coven when she has time, of course. Welcome, Lydia said warmly. Were you part of a coven in L.A.? This is all new to me. I kind of remember crazy Auntie Val teaching me her wicked ways when I was young, but later I thought it was my imagination. You all know some serious voodoo. I absolutely love your crow. 
Amethyst's eyes beamed as she said that. Crobus puffed up and turned to Lydia. She's in. How are you, Theo? Lydia asked the man with the toad in his lap. Oh, about the same, only more so, said Theo in a jovial tone. Looks like a light turnout tonight. Val jumped in. Well, the trio is still in Budapest, or maybe Prague now. Cleo and the Baron couldn't make the trip this time. I think her boy might be getting a familiar of his own. That's exciting. Heather and Sophia called to say they would definitely make it next time. Warren, well, Warren hasn't come for years, but the invite is still out for him. It's great you all are here, though. I made sweet potato cabbage stew, and there's more than enough to go around. Theo and Corvus made a yum sound, but Amethyst and Lydia shared an uncomfortable look with each other, forming an instant bond around a common and secret dislike for Val's cooking. Speaking of food, do you have any eggs? I've had the worst luck getting them for the harvest spell tonight, Lydia asked. Oh, sorry, dear. I think I'm fresh out, Val regretfully replied. Follow me into the kitchen and we can check. So you were casting today, huh? Crobus and the rat hopped down and headed to the couch near Amethyst as Val and Lydia headed out of the room. Theo seemed perfectly content to sit in silence, so Amethyst leaned closer to the animals. So you guys are the real deal, huh? What that's all about? The rat stood up on two legs and said, I'm Snuffles. Pleased to meet you. Amethyst looked amused. That's adorable. Hello, Snuffles. Ask the toad his name, said Crobus mischievously. The toad raised his back slightly to show that he was paying attention and spoke with a dramatic tone while giving side-eye to the bird. I am Lord Froggington Fliesbane III, Ambassador of Acumen, Toad Extraordinaire. Nice to meet you too. So you are magical animals? Animals with magic? Uh, uh, people who got turned into animals? We are spirits of a higher plane, summoned here by our respective witch or wizard, and bound to the soul of a particular animal. Snuffles continued on from the toad's explanation. The soul binding allows us to remain here for our natural lives. Unbound spirits can't remain in this world long. The witch chooses an animal that most fits their purpose or personality. Val is very social, just like we rats. Also, I can fit into tiny spaces and get things for her. She makes me comfy hammocks made from old blankets. Right. And what's your superpower, Crovis? Amethyst clearly held a natural attraction for the crow. Super sarcasm. It's more powerful than a speeding train of thought, the crow answered dryly. Crows are valued for being able to fly high and spot hidden things. You'll want a crow if you ever get a real familiar. Not something useless like a delusive dragon or a forgettable frog. A toad! Lord Froggington corrected, and I have many unique talents, thank you very much. I am well versed in a multitude of ancient languages and magical tomes. Also, I can survive on land. Then he paused to build up the moment. And in the water. Um, yeah, teased Crovis. How's that useful again? Suppose that my master were to drop his wand, the toad elaborated. Theo nodded, indicating it was a common occurrence as his familiar continued with flair, while standing on a boat. In relatively shallow water, the crow finished dramatically. Amethyst laughed and then immediately felt bad for the toad and gave him a tickle under his chin, which he seemed to appreciate. I'm sure Lord Froggington is plenty useful. He helps me remember things, Theo interjected awkwardly. So, what's the superpower of your fake dragon? Crovis turned the conversation back on Amethyst. 
Baha, tell me about yourself, she said, and Vfam hopped off her shoulder. From her perspective, the silver dragon flapped its wings and puffed out its chest. The rest of the room merely saw the little ball floating before her. It spoke in an English accent from its tiny but powerful speaker. I'm glad you asked. I'm your personal assistant, your eyes in the sky, and the cinematographer of the movie of your life. I'll answer all your questions, tell you jokes, and alert you to proximity dangers. Fun fact, a group of VFAMs are called a chorus. This is because we can coordinate with your friends' VFAMs to synchronize your music and fill a room from all angles with harmonic texture. That's interesting, Crovis responded with a threatening undertone. A group of crows are called a murder. Amethyst rolled her eyes and then added, I've also augmented her a little bit with some hacks that might have invalidated the warranty, longer leash distance, more image and audio controls, etc. At that moment, Val and Lydia re-entered the room and Val announced, I'm afraid we don't have all the components for the harvest spell tonight. What's the spell for? asked Amethyst. Lydia answered, Seattle plants tons of urban fruit trees that can be harvested to help feed the homeless. It's a great program, so we like to give it a little magical boost every year. Ward off bugs without using pesticides, enrich the soil, blessings for enough sunlight, that type of thing. We're not in a rush, so we'll just do it next time. When can you all meet again? Val answered first. Definitely! It will help to have more of us anyway. Let's see. I've got Wild Wiccan Woman Weekly Meeting on Monday... Tuesday is the burner prep, only four months left to get ready. Wednesday I'm out with David, Thursday in with Douglas, Friday I've got a date with Alice, Saturday is my polyamory support group. Oh, and there is a rat show on Sunday all day. I don't think I'll enter Mr. Snuffles in any of the competitions, just wouldn't be fair. Theo spoke next. You're the busy one. I know what that's like. For me, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday are wide open. On Tuesday and Thursday, I'm fairly certain nothing is happening. Saturday I'm thinking I might have an errand, but that should be a piece of butterscotch cake, so I'll be around at most any time. But Sunday, let me think. Ah, yes, of course, the thing was cancelled back a while ago, so my schedule is a little more flexible than Val's. I've known corpses with more of a life, Crovis muttered. Ahem! Lord Froggington cleared his throat. Oh, wait, did I forget something, LFF? Theo asked. Indeed you have, the toad proclaimed. Only the esteemed astronomer convention. Oh, right. When is that again? Next March, the second weekend. I swear you're better than my phone calendar for remembering things. You are most welcome, sir, said Froggington before settling down with a satisfied look on his bumpy brown face. Amethyst looked at Crovis, expecting a snide comment. The crow looked back knowingly and just said, Too easy. Okay, let's do it next Monday said Val. I'll gather all the ingredients so we're ready. Same as last year, right? We may need something to ward off the new affliction of airborne marbles, Crovis added, poking toward the V-fam on Amethyst's shoulder. She wasn't sure whether to be offended or not. Actually, that brings up something I wanted to talk about, Lydia said. We had the weirdest experience at the market. Crovis saw one of those virtual familiars, but it seemed to have an actual imp attached to it. How is that even possible? Theo suddenly got excited. That's right, I meant to bring that up. We saw one as well. Lord Froggington figured it was a poltergeist, but I thought it had soul binding. He told me that was impossible. The toad added, It is impossible, or at least unprecedented. Spirits have been trapped in objects before. Stone, lamps, boxes, paintings, 
I think my car may be haunted, Val corrected. Twasn't that, Crovis stated. It was familiar magic, magic of which I am most familiar with. Sounds like a good mystery to solve, said Theo. We've got a free evening now. Let's track it down. Oh, yes, that sounds like fun, exclaimed Val. I can help you with a seeking spell, Theo. If only we had something from one of those men that you each spotted. Lydia thought for a second. I recorded the guy on my specs. The image should help direct the spell, or at least help us Google him. Great! We should also probably talk with Warren. He's the expert in familiar binding. Who wants to go bug him? Why don't you just text him, Aunt Val? With a phone? <laughs> Warren despises phones. He's what we witches call a Luddite. Well, I guess everyone would call him that. He's practically allergic to technology, but his specialty is communicating with higher planes, so he might be able to help us figure it out in spite of that. I'll go, said Amethyst. I want to learn more about familiars. Sounds like he's the guy. Lydia saw her eye the crow and said, Why don't you take Crovis with you? He can guide the way. I'm not sure Warren wants to see the rest of us anymore, but he might open the door to you if he thinks you're a young mind he can corrupt with arcane knowledge. Be warned, you may need to appeal to his ego and gain his trust before making any requests. I'll stay here and help Val and Theo with the tracking spell. Yes, but let us do the actual casting, Lydia, Val smiled. We don't need your condition complicating the spell. What condition? asked Amethyst with concern. Bad luck, sighed Lydia. You should know before you get too deep in with us that magic always has a price, and it's unique to the witch. For me, I expend good luck. For several hours after casting a spell, depending on the type of spell, I'll have the worst luck. It was just a minor blessing today, so I'm probably fine now. Really? What does magic cost you, Aunt Val? Spoons, she answered seriously. Spoons? Amethyst repeated slowly while narrowing her eyes. Yes, spoons. Several communities, especially those around chronic illness, use spoons as an analogy for personal energy. It's like you only have so many spoons in your house. Some people have more spoons than others. Whenever you do something, you spend a spoon. When I cast a big spell, I spend a bunch of spoons and I'm wiped out for the next day or two. It's okay, though. I get a lot back from compersion, which is the excitement I get from seeing my various partners happy from their other relationships. Hence why I have so many partners. You're weird, Aunt Val, Amethyst smiled. And you, Theo? I don't remember what mine is, Amethyst answered her own question. It's his memory, isn't it? It's his memory, several of them answered at the same time. Crobus jumped up to Amethyst's shoulder, knocking the VFAM off. She caught it and dropped it into her pocket. Come on, Blue, he said, tugging on her hair. Let's go to Warren's Roost. You are in for a treat, a sour, curmudgeoning-flavored treat. This is the end of Part 1 of VFAM by Kevin R. O'Hara. To hear the conclusion, make sure you're subscribed to the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast and watch your feed. It's coming very soon. Kevin R. O'Hara enjoys employment as a creative director in the video game industry. He originally hails from Spencerport, New York, but promptly moved to the West Coast after graduating from Ithaca College's film school. He has worked various roles in the film and video game industry over the years, most of which involved creative writing and game design. He currently resides near Seattle, Washington, with his lovely wife, awe-inspiring daughter, and energetic Kieshond. Find him on Twitter at Jolted Kev. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast.
If you like what you hear, please give us a review on iTunes as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.